0: Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Maniac, and today we have another great episode for you, but before we get into that, we're going to do a couple of reviews. And first up, we have a five-star review entitled The Essential D&D Podcast. By Tyler111111111 One. Don't know. That's the name we got. And it says, I'm about five episodes in and I'm hooked. I have DM'd for about ten years and I wish I had this when I started. A must listen to for DM's old and new alike. Also a must listen to for players who don't know how to play Chaotic Neutral. So thank you Tyler and the many ones that followed for that awesome review. Next up we have a five-star review entitled long overdue review by i blue wizard and it says it is entirely possible nay probable that the dungeon master's block was the catalyst that began my current podcast addiction i came for the dming tips and inspiration and branched out to hear what some of their early guests have made and now i stay up to date on roughly 40 podcasts at a time i feel your pain as do many the DMB content is some of the best there is on the topic of dungeon mastering, and I know that my games have improved because of the advice provided by these fine folks. Thanks for what you do, and keep on dungeon mastering. We will, if you will. But with those out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but Maggy bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So today on The Meat, we have a, another amazing guest, and it is Daniel Marshall, game designer and co-owner, as well as the director of design for Playground Adventures. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so Dan, what we like to do with all of our guests is we like to uh,
1: start off the segment with... Some questions just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, the first question's pretty easy. Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, I'm Daniel Marshall, as Neil already said, director of design and co-owner of Playground Adventures. I do a lot of layout design for a number of companies, uh, Legendary, write Publishing, our own stuff, and do a bit of authoring as well. There's not a whole lot to me. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> All right. All right. What do you like to do? I mean, I know you DM. Is there anything else you like to do for fun? Well, a lot of the stuff we do. We've we've got six kids at home, so we do a lot of gaming with with our kids. So it's, nice. That there's a lot of you know. That's kind of what playground came from. Is learning to to game with the kids and teach the kids all sorts of things alongside with the creativity side of it. But beyond gaming, of course, there's the, the video game stuff, which is always cool. Yeah. Uh, but most, <laughs> of my, most of my spare time, aside from my day job, is uh, spent writing or arranging things so everything looks pretty. <laughs> nice. Awesome.
0: So the next question we have is, is there anything you're currently working on that you would like our listeners to know about?
2: Actually, there's two projects. I know we'll get into the monster materials and creature components in a little bit, but the first volume was so successful that I'm now doing a volume for Cobalt Press's Tome of Beasts. Oh, I have that. Sorry. Book. It is. Go wonderful. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually finished, uh, finished the manuscript this morning. Nice. And I guess by the time this is out, uh, Fright Publishing will have put out their pathways bestiary a bunch of the monsters from their Pathways magazine and they've asked me to do creature component stuff for the creatures in that as well. So those are my two big writing projects and on the layout side I'm finishing up the forest compendium for Legendary and they've asked me to do the main book of their Alien Bestiary Kickstarter that is finishing up now. So I'll be busy. Sounds like it, but with awesome projects.
0: Yeah.
2: And awesome yes, projects always,
0: make I'm you. going to follow closely the creature components for Tome of Beasts. I am super excited right now. I love that book. It's so good.
1: It really is. <laughs> all right. So, Daniel, we always have a surprise question, you know, just something fun that we like to ask all of our guests. And I thought that this was really uh, apropos for our segment this week. And the question for you is... What are three uses for dragon's blood in your homebrew world? And it, it, that one is from our Patreon member, DM
2: Pax. All right. Well, it depends on the, the kind of dragon, but let's say uh, pick a white dragon because all, all of them can be different. A white dragon is a cold creature, so you might be able to quench a blade, a, a forged blade that you're going to enchant that makes it inflict cold damage. Or you may be able to use a vial of the the dragon's blood is a material component in a cold cone of cold spell that would make it make either the cone bigger or uh inflict more damage or maybe even inflict damage on creatures that are resistant to cold um cuz you're stacking the magic energy on top of the blood um and then a third one let's see all right you could take that and make it into a potion of some kind either a potion that grants you resistance to cold something similar to a white dragon or that might give you some semblance of control over that age category when younger i like it
0: perfect. i like it a lot yeah i also like that you you made it even more like focused and now there are like so many so many more ideas for every other dragon now so yep, yep perfect yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly that's what i do yeah <laughs> Perfect. So today on the meet, we're going to be talking all about monster materials and how to put those in your games, what to do with them, and just generally how to use them. So the thing for me is that I know my players always want to use it, but then I feel like it doesn't happen in games very often. Prior to, I guess, this conversation, like, what is everyone's experience with having those things used in their game? I mean, Daniel, you might um, have a little bit more of it, given that you wrote an entire book about it.
2: If if you think about it, there are all sorts of creatures that have innate magical abilities or are naturally powerful, elementals, dragons, outsiders, all sorts of creatures. So it makes sense that uh, a character might want to try to use a portion of that power for something. And honestly, my 10-year-old, Kalen, is... Constantly going around grabbing little bits like uh, there was an a Earth Elemental that had gems for eyes. So he grabbed those gems thinking he could do something with them. And But yeah, from my, my youngest daughter all the way up, they like to do that stuff all the time. And some of the ideas they come up with just blow my mind. I mean, I wrote the book. Some of it is actually inspired by some of the ideas that nice. <laughs> the kids <laughs> came up cool. with. But yeah, it's... I'm always a big proponent of, you know, the yes and idea of DMing, right? So if they say, well, can I use this for this effect? Well, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But sure, you can try it. Does it make sense? Okay. And maybe it does nothing. Maybe it just gives them a a little boost if it wasn't, you know, harvested right or something like that. But I'm, I'm real big on letting characters and players be creative while they're playing. Because to me, that's where a lot of the the fun of gaming comes from, is you don't have to follow the line that I as the DM set. You don't have to solve a puzzle the way I intended you to. In fact, there's stuff that the players come up with that, any any dm would never think of
1: right and that's the secret right is you know half the times the player's idea are way better than your own and you're like i'm gonna just pretend like that was the whole thing in the first place
2: <laughs> yep and yeah. you have to be ready to run with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh,
1: i think for me to answer that question since we're going around robin right uh, i think for me i i come from the 3.5 heavy, you know third ed 3.5 tradition and there were a ton of extra supplemental materials that had all sorts of things like that as far as material components and whatnot. And often, you know, a lot of the guys that I gamed with were, were also video gamers and things like that. And so we incorporated a lot of those material gathering aspects Say somebody wanted their sword enchanted. I know we've mentioned with like an element of some sort. Well, you can do that. It's going to cost you this much gold and you have to, you know, but it will cost less if you bring the material components yourself. And so we went on quests like that all the time. Uh, A lot of them were side quests. uh, And then there were a couple where we had like to go gather a couple of really rare materials to either shut down the gates of hell or, you know, as material components for spells to do various things to stop whatever mechanisms the big bad had in place and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. So I think that 5e sort of uh, is lacking a lot of that yet because they want to keep it simple. Of course, Daniel's got this book out now and he's coming out with another one and And so I think that that's a great resource for us 3.5 guys to go to who like those sort of more gritty, time-consuming minutiae of collecting monster parts. And I think because it's such a huge part of video games, because it's such a huge part of a lot of fantasy stories, I think that to do that in a game is something that people can relate to and something that people actually want to do and something that you as a DM should endeavor to present an opportunity for your players to do.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I mean, so yeah, just super quick for me. I mean, the, the two options are collect 10 boar livers and uh, get dragon scales for armor, you know, the video game mentality and then that old school mentality. But, I love what you've you've done, and you know we'll get more into it of making it seem more prevalent just in the world, and it makes sense. It's a world full of monsters, like you said, and most of them magical or something like that. So, what are some specific uses of monster materials in a campaign setting? Um, just again, we can just go around whoever wants to take it first.
1: Go ahead, Daniel. You're the you're the
2: expert, so that's why <laughs> we have you on? All right, every magical creature can theoretically be used for something. It's just a matter of figuring out what. But, at the same time, if you're going to be giving your characters uh, these components that can make their spells more powerful, or uh, reduce the cost of making magic items, or make magic items more potent, or even create magic items that haven't been heard of before, you have to balance that with the other treasure that they're getting. So, like in the book, we assign a value to each component. And one of the things that I like about the, the Creature Components book that we did is it's meant to be a, a base. It's something for creativity to jump off of. It's not meant to be a, a limiting document. So it's meant to be an inspiration and a guideline. So you can take those components and that cost. And when you're creating a dragon's horde, if you have a wizard who might be harvesting dragon parts, then you can include the value of those parts when you're calculating the size of the horde. Um, so that's a way to get around that barrier as far as using them in play uh you can have anything from the essence of an elemental or the blood of a dragon like we talked about before, or the feather of an astral deva or something like that that you know the more powerful the creature, the more powerful augmentation it can have. The higher level spell it can affect.
1: Yeah, and the more dangerous it might be to collect said material component. There was a a world that I played in uh, for a while before uh, one of the first gaming groups I got involved in here that sort of fell apart. But the, the way that this DM ran magic was that material components for wizards and sorcerers spells and things of that nature were actually not something commonplace that you could buy just everywhere. So... You know, you couldn't just walk up to the to the apothecary in some Joe Schmo little town and expect to find some of these material components that would be used for like higher level spells. You actually had to go out and find them. And so that's another way that you can include material components, you know, especially depending on where you're starting out your campaign. If you're starting out in a small village, the likelihood that they're going to have everything that you need to cast even some small first level spells you know, the blood of a bat or something like that might not necessarily be something that they have on hand. That's true. So, that's another way, like I said, you can incorporate collecting uh, monster materials to fuel even the basic spells. But I like the idea of enhancing spells too. And you had mentioned, you know, using like a, a frost dragon's blood or an ice dragon or a, a silver, or excuse me, a white dragon or a silver dragon or something like that to enhance spells. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. And, you know, Depending on how old the creature was or, you know, like you said, the manner in which you harvested the blood, which is really interesting to me. How do you properly harvest and store dragon's blood? And, you know, using that and then depending on the grade of blood and how well it was harvested adds that those modifiers to the spell.
2: And the, the idea we did is we set up rules for harvesting. And the idea, you know, we, I've always been a, a fan of the story over the mechanics, right? So... Yes, it's a skill check. But to explain it, the spellcaster is basically trying to channel the magical energy of whatever creature into the component they're trying to harvest. The horn or the essence, if it's like an elemental that doesn't have a physical form, or the blood. They're trying to channel all of that magical energy into that component. So the check is the representation of how successful they were in doing that. If they fail that check, then they, depending on how badly they may, you know, dissipate the energy altogether and not be able to get anything from it anymore.
1: Well, I like the fact that you use that sliding scale as far as success or failure. Uh, I've never been a, a real big fan of the binary pass fail sort of system. I like the, you know, yeah, you failed it by this much, but it's still enough where I feel like it's good to give you a success, but you're going to have a drawback because of because of that, so you know, if the if the check is fifteen or whatever, and they make a a twelve, well, yeah, you succeeded, but you it's not as a pure of a sample as like I'd, I you'd prefer,
2: right? Or maybe you don't get as much of it as you might have otherwise. Yeah.
0: Oh, I lost my. I lost my train of thought because I'm thinking about too much. I even to the point where I even started writing things down in an attempt to not think about too many things. So the other thing that I was thinking and just going back a little bit to the economy of things, because I think that is very important and a very important note to add to people that would want to implement creature components, just to kind of do that discussion a little bit more. So when you think about it, Daniel, do you look at it as if, I believe this is what you said, but just, like I said, just to talk about it a little more, look at it as if it's more magical items that they have almost. You know, these are, There's those set tiers that like at fifth level, they should probably have this range. Do you factor all of the creature components kind of into that sum total?
2: I would. The thing you have to keep in mind if you're, for instance, creating a character that's higher than first level is that a, a, the vast majority of these components are expendable. They're like potions. Okay. Some mm -hmm. you might be able to use more than once, or a single harvest may give you multiple components, but at the same time, they're consumable. So, having the essence of an invisible stalker that might uh, augment the ability to use invisibility, that's a powerful creature. That's a 2,000 gold piece item. Yeah. But you use it once and it's gone. So... When you're putting it in a horde, that's fine. You know, gold pieces are consumable, so it's not a big deal. If you're creating a character that is higher than first level and you're trying to balance, you know, what gear they've got on the onset, then, well, first, of course, I'd encourage a a short blurb as to how they got it or whatever, just because I'm a story buff. Yes. But, But beyond that, you may want to use the we have two categories, cost and price. Price is market price. Cost would be, you know, the equivalent of if you had to make it. If you're using higher than first level, you may use the cost, which is generally half, instead because it's consumable or something like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, those values can raise lower depending on what size town they're in or if it's particularly magically inclined or if particular creatures are more common there than elsewhere. I mean, there's a number of environmental factors that you can put in there too. It's all up to the DM. That's true.
1: So now that we've talked a little bit about about, about how we can use monster materials and things like that, we should talk a little bit about how we want to present those opportunities to our players via the main quest or side quests, because we've all got that one player who goes, Ian, I want a sword that does X, Y, and Z. Well, fantastic. I'm glad you want a sword that does X, Y, and Z. <laughs> now, here's the side quest that's going to help you get the sword that does that. And here are the things that you're going to have to do. And you can use a lot of different elements. Uh, the way that I introduced the side quest to this particular player was he's a warrior. He wanted to make a sword that that did a bunch of different stuff. And the, he went to a smith who was renowned in in my world for making magical items. And he presented the idea to the smith, and the smith was like, well, I'm going to need this, I'm going to need that, and I'm going to need this to accomplish that one thing. So we'll start there. <laughs> and then, you know, there was there was discussion and haggling of price and uh, of things of that nature, but that was the side quest that sent him off uh, with the party because the party also wanted some other stuff to go get these certain things, to get the first ability that he wanted on that sword.
2: And that's a great way to you know have a scaling magic item too is you get the the stuff to give the first ability and then the next step is to get whatever for the second ability and then you have an item that scales with the character which is tends to be rather difficult to to pull off in your your average campaign
1: well and i there was a i keep going back to 3.5 cuz it just had so much uh but there was a character class a prestige class that allowed you to I think they were like Legendary legendary Weapon Scion or something like that that allowed you to sort of have... But the abilities were unlocked by the level
2: that your character attained. And you had to do some kind of ritual or task or something to unlock mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I remember so, that. So
1: they built that in there. And then there was the Weapons of Legend book that also had some of those ideas in it where the, the weapons scaled and you had to do certain things to unlock the abilities and weapons. And I'm a big fan of that because, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you've got a, a character who really likes this one weapon, and there's this whole backstory invested in this one weapon. You know, it was my father's sword, or, you know, it was my mentor's spellbook, or whatever, and you want to invest into that and keep that around. You don't want a new sword, because this sword is so inter- integral into who your character is and what your character does, that to give the, the PC a new sword with uh, the ability that he wants just doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true.
0: And I think it's really good to be mindful of you know, and we've been talking all about a sword, so then it's the fighter that is you know, the focus of the material components. I think they're an easy road for people to maybe get into would be thinking it's only for the mage because all the items do these spell-enhancing things. But you know, as the DM, you definitely want to present options for all of your characters to just really set this into your entire world. You know, and So um, you had brought up the Invisible Stalker. Well, maybe that's the component that you want to get so that you can put it on an item and give to the rogue because it helps with, you know, in stealth, or it just helps with actual invisibility. And so I think going in and figuring out what you could give to every player is definitely the best road you want to go down to kind of start implementing creature components.
2: Absolutely. You know, we we provide a couple of examples of, of that kind of stuff in the book. We also have rules for researching formula for creating magic items in here too. So, like, if you're... If you want to create that awesome sword, you've got to figure out how. So, you know, you, you can, depending on really how much you want to tax your players' resources, you can give them the, the recipe right out, out the gate, just like the the Smith did. Or you can say, okay, in order to research a Cloak of Invisibility or a sword that has X ability, you have to go through this process. Whether you do it or you hire somebody else to perform that research for you, it's going to take time. And then they'll give you the answer of, this is what you need to look for so I can actually do it. And depending on the scope of the magic item, I mean, if you're getting a an elixir of giant control that allows you to charm all giants in an area for a short period of time, that's a relatively potent item. And it may take a while to figure out if you're looking for a dagger plus one, much more simple item. So it may not take as long, either either the formula or the creation of the item in it's, itself. So again, it depends on what course you want the campaign to to go into and how much you want to tax the the resources of your PCs and what kind of PCs you have, because you know every gaming group's different. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and if you make it the you know we've been talking about just like side quests but if you make this item harvesting this monster material harvesting a part of a main quest you know you're trying to build the macguffin rather than find the macguffin yeah you know like that that to me is a, is a fresh new take on beating the big bad cuz you know there's always some sort of of weapon or spell or something that helps you undo the evil guy you know, or whoever the villain happens to be of your story, and you're always questing after that one item. Well, what if you have to build the item because it doesn't exist? Because at one point in time, those those MacGuffins that we all like to go and get don't didn't actually exist at one point or another. Somebody had to make it, and so what if you're the guy that actually makes the MacGuffin in the campaign that you're in, that is then later used in a, as a MacGuffin in a different campaign? You know, like so. You know, it, it's it, it's a refreshing new way to look at gathering the things that will help you undo the big evil whatever
0: so i have a couple of super specific examples that i've come up with those are the things i've been writing down so that i don't keep myself distracted <laughs> so the big one that i thought of is basing it off of having your bad guy be like lex Luthor in young justice where essentially all he ever wanted to do was give people what they wanted now and he's still a bad guy, but that could be the kind of thing where he sends you to go get a material component that is very difficult and that he could not get himself, and your party gets something from it, but then you're having to weigh that moral compass of well, then what's he going to do once we hand it over I love it that. could be the it could be the blood from like an ancient red, but then it's like, well, okay, and we'll get this thing you know and we'll save these people, but then what happens next? Well, you're going to be
1: a pretty high level if you're fighting an Ancient Red. You're not just hey, going to send a level one. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't
0: messing around with this one. But
2: you, you, you can also throw in there the morality question, because what happens if he hires you to go defeat this uh, nest of vampires, and you find out that they are actually people who had were were turned and then broke free of the control of the big, the big vampire because he was defeated, and now they're just trying to find their way. And they're actually good people afflicted with vampirism, but you're now charged with slaying them and collecting their blood or the vampire dust or whatever for for some purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: love, I love presenting with my characters with morally ambiguous choices to see what they do because it's like, okay, here's this and here's that. And you can incorporate that really well. Neither one's really going to, be beneficial there's no real good choice and you using something like that can can be a really excellent way to sort of challenge and stretch your players quite a bit
0: so are you ready for the next one again i was just writing them down so that it didn't so this one is based off of something that you had mentioned ian where the think about that like off the beaten path village. And like you said, maybe they don't even have some of the most basic components because they just don't have that afforded to them. The idea that I had was what if they have something that they don't understand? Like they have a material component that is far beyond anything that they should have. And this town is like constantly besieged by, monsters and no one understands why it just happened and like no one can put the context together and that's kind of the mystery that your players have to unravel and then they figure out this random shopkeeper has you know um some like i said i, I would almost want it to be like a good item so like one of like the feathers of this um you know amazing deva that they just happened to stumble on in the woods and then they took it back and now everything is trying to go get that for some nefarious purpose, and your players have to combat those people, and then finally figure out that that's what's happening.
1: Or you could go with the with the idea that, say, it's a moss or something like that that only grows in the certain conditions that are afforded by this town, and that, it's a super powerful moss or whatever material component. It doesn't necessarily have to be moss. Well, that's my next. I just thinking look. Swap Town. Yeah, <laughs> herbalism is the next one on the on the list. So. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, you can only harvest it in this one place. And because of that, it's constantly under siege. And they have no idea why. You know, to them, it's just the moss that grows on the backside of this rock, you know, in this certain area of the the landscape, you know, the, the geography near their town and, you know, whatever. But they don't have magic users who can tap into it, you know.
2: Maybe they do know and they create a whole economy based out of it. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah
0: that's the yeah that is another i mean amazing point to make is you know with the assumption you know you're using a homebrew world you're using a living world and you know your players go through this small podunk town they kind of do their adventurer thing they go away they come back and it is like this weird bustling metropolis all of a sudden and like material components could easily be the explanation it's like a gold rush in some ways mm-hmm. when you if you're using things that are based on herbalism or like you said, it's only these certain conditions. So now everyone's showing up to try and recreate these conditions. Oh, that's it's mm-hmm. super good. Oh, I remember the Moss Russia forty nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, my yeah. that's my claim. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, so that's a super, super good idea I like that. Um are there any other you ain't ideas kicking around. I mean, Daniel, I, you've probably sat with the, the concepts a lot longer than we have.
2: Well, it, it's everything ha, has mm-hmm. something to tie to it. I mean, we talked about the the potential of uh, a vampire nest before. What happens if you have an area that is infested with undead? Now, if, if you start with that area, however, you're going to drop it into a campaign. Okay, now you have. Uh, One of the creature types that we focus on is undead creatures. So you can go in to harvest these things knowing that you can't defeat whatever evil undead empire that's there, but you can slowly build up an armory of stuff to use against them by defeating the lower stuff and build up. So it can evolve into an entire campaign to defeat the big bad. So there, there's that direction you can go or even with that, that same scenario, maybe you've got an evil lich that is using components against the party from the creatures that he creates or that he's using components to augment the creatures that he's creating. So they're not they're more than just a normal zombie. Maybe they're a worm infested zombie that when they hit you, they can spread that infestation. It's sort
1: of like the Book of Vile Darkness. Yes!
2: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they're using dragon's blood to augment a ghoul. What happens there? Oh, man. You, you can give components to the bad guys, too. Mm-hmm. And that can inspire the PCs to really say, get into it and figure out, well, how did he pull that off? Okay, well, he figured out some recipe that used this. Well, how can we do that ourselves so that we're on even footing? And that can be a whole campaign arc. Qu- questing for item components can be a whole campaign arc.
1: Yeah, I, that just sparked in my mind it's an arms race. Yeah, it could be. You know, it's it's a complete, you know, like it's a Cold War. and It's an arms race and a Cold War. It's for literal arms, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think one of my favorite magical items that I ever received was from my brother <clears throat> who was DMing for me. I was playing a bard. It was very heavily, I'm, I'm Scottish, so it was very heavily influenced by Celtic ideas and stuff. And I wanted like a killer set of bagpipes. I don't, I don't know why I got into my head all of a sudden. And he's like, okay, we had just killed a red dragon. And I was like, can I harvest the diaphragm? He goes, why would you want the diaphragm? <laughs> I was like, well, because you know what, bagpipes are made out of, right? He goes, yeah. I was like, it's a, it's a diaphragm. So can I harvest the red dragon's diaphragm? He's like, yeah, it's massive. I was like, that's fine. I only need a part of it. <laughs> and so like eventually through the harvesting of the diaphragm and then, you know, getting a, a wizard to like help me make actually it was the wizard in our party to help me make this instrument. I, I walked away with a set of bagpipes that had like a bunch of diff- like, in, you know, it was inspire fear and a couple other different things that dra- uh, is a draconic presence or whatever. And I could cast fireball three times a day at a really ridiculously
0: high level through the bagpipes. It's
2: awesome. Yeah, that's that's an awesome idea.
0: It makes me think of the guitar guy from Mad Max, but yes. with a instead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the party always knew it was real serious when I busted out these bagpipes. Because, oh man, it's about to go down. Because,
0: <laughs> Which I think, I mean, I think that example is a perfect segue kind of to the last topic that we want to tackle before closing up. And that is just very specific ideas of monster materials and their use in a game you know, using the diaphragm of a red to make bagpipes that uh, shoot fireballs so good uh so yeah so the so the one that, um i have to you and know, keep kind of keep the ball rolling is from what you had mentioned earlier daniel of having people research those items to accomplish certain things i mean i don't know if this is something that's already out there but using the items to research. And then they're just generalized bonuses. Like you as players better understand the monsters because of the research you've done on these components. So it could just be going forward as a collective party I mean, if you want to use fifth edition, maybe at a certain point you just have advantage against these creature types because you've done so much research into them. Or I mean, you know, with the more Pathfinder 3.5 mentality, it could be a plus one, a plus two, or something like that because of that. And on the DM side, you could essentially have X number of research or you know, X amount of research or X amount of material components required for your party to reach that goal.
2: Yeah, and then and then you have almost like achievements. At that
0: point, <laughs> ding. Yep, <laughs>
2: unlocked. <laughs> yeah, I love that's such a great feeling. The the other, I don't know if
1: you guys have ever read. Uh, if you haven't, you really should. It's called the Demon Cycle by Peter V. Brett, and in this, they the way that magic functions in the world is it's all through uh, the bones of demons, and so they inscribe wards like magical writing on the bones, and they'll use like the the head of a flame demon to to shoot fireballs, and they use the bone of a lightning demon to shoot. Lightning bolts or, you know, a whole bunch of other, diff- like they use the ear uh, of of a wind dragon, like the ear bone to, to be able to speak at far distances through earrings and stuff. So, I mean, you could go with that total mentality where the, the bones of magic creatures, something simple like that are what allow you to accomplish some of the major, the major feats. The problem with that is that once the bones were depleted, the magic item became useless. But, you know, you could use, I mean, we said diaphragm, uh, you could use the bones of a red dragon to, to craft armor that's resistant to fire damage or, you know, that allows the wizard to make a wand that shoots fireballs or, you know, whatever else.
2: <clears throat> well, for for my portion of this, I'm just going to quote a couple of the specific examples out of the book, if that's all right. Oh, yeah, totally. yes. All right. So for spells, let's see, we've got the wings of a sprite. Now they're naturally oh. invisible creatures, right?
1: <laughs> I'm playing a sprite that hurts my soul <laughs>
0: in the well, game that I'm running for
2: <laughs> the If you use the ground up wings of a sprite for an invisibility spell, it's cast as if it's you're using a spell slot one level higher, or you can extend the duration one d four rounds beyond when you lose concentration oh, so that's, that, awesome. that's yeah that's an example of a a small one a greater one would be the ground up horn of a unicorn if you use that for cure wounds then you can additionally remove a poison any poison or disease and it functions as one spell slot higher so it heals more when you go on to magic items one of my favorites is the the remora's forge the the polar worms are like this really nasty creature for anybody oh, yeah. yes. in the arctic right Well, we set up an item that if you get four heat glands from four different Remoras, you can create this forge. And, of course, it requires other stuff, but that's the component that doesn't require fuel. And it allows double normal progress each day. And any magical item forged in it for either fire or cold energy requires fewer materials and reduces the creation cost. That's awesome. Or, last example I'll give, the the Roper Whip. This is the (laughs) tentacle of a Roper. Yes. And it's a a plus one whip that inflicts weakness when you hit somebody with it. They have to make a constitution saving throw or they get disadvantage on all strength checks. So those those are just a a few. I think there's 103 creatures in here plus the magic items and stuff like that. But, you know, all it takes is a, a little bit of creativity and looking at, Either the creature's specific abilities or, you know, every creature in the monster manual has a couple little blurbs about it before it gets to the stat block. Sometimes you can use that. You know, what were they created for? What is their purpose? You can use that to determine what ability you want to do and then just find a spell that kind of goes along with that thematically. And the, the possibilities really are limitless.
0: So good. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the one that I, I liked is, and that I had come up with earlier, you had mentioned one of your kids had taken the gems from the earth elemental. I thought it would be really interesting to make goggles out of that that you could either see through stone. Or yeah. you, know, you see through Earth and something along those lines. Just for like, you know, and it just seems like a cool visual too. You know, you now have the eyes of an Earth elemental you know, in your appearance, and I mean you could go. And I also love how goofy or cool you could make that look because it could look real dumb.
2: Yeah, he, he, I, I just have this image of uh, a gnome with the, these science goggles with two big gems that don't quite mm-hmm. fit right.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It almost looks like he's got binoculars on the yep. front of his face. Perfect. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: that's awesome
1: well with that we're going to wrap up our discussion of monster materials creature components however you want to say it we are done daniel we thank you so much for coming oh, yeah. on well, thanks it's been for a, having me yeah it's been an awesome discussion if, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you get in touch with you how would they go about doing that
2: well you can always go to our company's website it's playgroundadventures.net or on facebook on daniel marshall or the company is Playground Adventures. On Twitter, uh, it's at SCP underscore Daniel or at Playground RPGs. Either way, you'll get a hold of me. So the, those are the best ways. Uh, probably Facebook is the the easiest. And, and so I
1: will probably definitely be dropping some money on that book because I was going to say awesome. let's <laughs> also
0: let's also talk about where can people go to get a hold of Creature Components Volume One.
2: Volume 1 is available on DriveThruRPG or our website in PDF format in both places or print-on-demand at DriveThruRPG. And like I said, we'll have – hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll have the the Tome of Beasts volume out. And there will be some entries in Pathways Magazine by Wright Publishing as well.
0: Awesome. And yeah, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. But again, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a blast.
0: Before we go, let's head over to the mailbag section
2: but they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right
1: there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail? Please Mac, I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay?
0: Today on the mailbag, we have one from DM Luke and they ask, I'm considering taking acting slash writing classes at the local community college to try and up my DMing game. Do you think this is an idea worth pursuing? Any thoughts on what particular types of classes might be best? The short answer is yes. Now, going to a community college and enrolling in a class could be a time investment, but from a money perspective, it won't be too much to do it. And if you're going to look at specific classes, you would want to go with something along the lines of creative writing, if that's available, or something like that. So it'll keep your chops up, if you will, on writing cohesive stories and structure and things like that. Now, the flip side would be the acting classes. And the suggestion from me, and I think we've brought it up before, would be to go and find a place that does improv and taking some improv classes because essentially Dungeons and Dragons and role playing, especially as a DM, is just improv going back and forth with your players. And if possible, having your players join that group or join that group or class as well can be helpful so that you guys can learn the same things together. Now, if you can get your group to do that, more power to you if you can't still definitely worth the time investment so watch out community colleges we've got dms coming for you but with that that is the mailbag well that's all we have for you today here at the dungeon masters block we just want to thank daniel again for coming out and getting our minds working on all the crazy ideas that you can do with creature components and if anyone wanted to get a hold of us and tell us about how they use creature components in their game, you can always head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode or any of the others that we have and you see fit, you can head over to iTunes and give us another five-star review that we'll read on air. You can also follow us on Twitter at dms underscore block. That's DM's Walk, or like us on Facebook where you can keep up to date on all of the episodes that come out, as well as any of the crazy memes that we post. But before we go, we have another Patreon member to shout out. And today's shout-out goes to Jared Arteche. And Jared is none other than a lustrious Platinum Dragon. So thank you, Jared, for your support. As always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. But again, we just want to thank you for spending some time here at the Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil, saying good night and good luck. And keep on dungeon mastering.
1: Yeah, Dan, if you just want to say, hey, everybody, you know,
2: or whatever. Just... I tried yeah. to, but it didn't work. No, yeah. I, no go ahead. Stuffed yeah, all yeah, over go, it.
0: it. Just <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Goodbye.